We give praise to you, O Lord, for the opportunity to come and study your word. May your Holy Spirit come and enlighten us. There are wondrous things in your word. Reveal them to us. Help us to understand the unity of the word of God. Be with us now for the glory of Jesus. Amen. We are in John chapter 12. And we're going to pick up at verse 36. And originally was going to go through verse 41. But this whole section is so rich in a lot of great theology. that So we're going to just take it in a couple parts. Let's understand what has happened thus far. Jesus has just finished telling the Jews who had asked him, who is this son of man? And he said that when they ask him that, he informs them, he says, that they should believe in the light. He is the light. I am the light of the world. And he says, you need to believe in the light while you still have the light. What is he alluding to? Well, he's alluding to his forthcoming death. I'm not going to always be here with you. And that you, we have to believe while there is that opportunity. Now, the Apostle Paul, let me just read a passage or a couple of verses out of 2 Corinthians 6, where he says, And working together with him, you, I urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you, and on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Jesus said, I am with you. I am that light. Make the most of it. Reminds us when He started his earthly ministry in Galilee of the Gentiles. It says there in Matthew chapter 4, he came to those sitting in darkness under the shadow of death. They saw a great light. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, Jesus says. So while you have the light, while I'm with you, and we can... uh, extrapolate from that while the gospel is being preached, then that's the time to believe. People need to realize God, well, the scripture says that his spirit doesn't always strive with men. Not always. You don't know when people, the gospel is preached, you don't know if that's the only opportunity God's going to give them. Today is a day of salvation. So wherever the gospel is preached, there is the moral obligation to believe in that gospel. Now, again, what is the theme of the book of John? There, I hope that you're getting the point by now since I keep emphasizing it. John 20, 30 and 31, there are many other signs that Jesus did in the presence of his disciples that uh, that are not written in this book. But what is written, these signs are for the purpose that you may believe I am the Christ and that believing in me, you might have eternal life. That's the whole theme. So now after telling these Jews 
that they need to take advantage of the fact that they still have the light with them. Look at verse 37 of John 12. Look at the great indictment against them. These things Jesus spoke and he departed and he hid uh, himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. So many signs. Again, what was the purpose of the sign? A miracle, a spectacular miracle to create a sense of awe. And what was that that purpose? I am that special person. I am that Messiah. I am doing it by the power because I am that Messiah. Believe, believe. Well, despite the many signs, they didn't believe. And to get an idea, why is that? Just turn back to John 10 for a moment. Turn back to John 10 and look at verse 24 through 28. The Jews therefore gathered around him and were saying to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I told you. And you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Despite all those signs, they wouldn't believe because they're not hearing the voice of the shepherd. Turn back to John 8, 47, or verse uh, 46 and 47. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Now, fundamentally, that's why people don't believe the signs. It has not been given to them to believe. Now, I think it would be uh, fruitful for us to just do a quick survey of what we've seen in John. It's not going to be the exclusive thing that we do this evening. But we're going to look back, since that is the theme of signs that proves that Jesus is the Christ, Let's just go back and take a look up to this chapter, how signs were used and then the response of the people to those signs. So I want you to turn with me. We're just going to look briefly at these passages. Let me mention this, one reason why I do this. And as you know, you've heard enough of my sermons to realize I like to bring in a lot of other scriptures Well, there's a reason for that. And the reason is our confession of faith talks about what uh, the theological term is called the analogy of faith. What does that mean? 
The best interpreter of scripture is scripture. And therefore, our, it, it behooves us to understand the unity of the word of God. And so that's why I like to go and bring in other passages to prove the point that this is an inspired message of God. And there is a great unity. There is a coherence to the word of God. So turn with me to John chapter two, verse 11. We'll take the, the look at the first instance here. Now, this was the miracle at the Cain of Galilee, Jesus miraculously changing the wine into uh, the water into wine. And it says in verse 11, the beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. The first of those signs, a great miracle that did impress the people. And his disciples, at least, believed in him at that point. <clears throat> Look at John 2, 23 through 25. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, beholding the signs which he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. And because he did not need anyone to bear witness concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now let that phrase sink in. He says, it says they believed in him, but then it says he didn't entrust himself to them. Why? Because he's God in the flesh. He knew what was in their heart. And he knew that that faith was not the best. It was not a genuine faith. And so knowing their heart, what's the other instance? Well, turn to John 3. Look at John 3, verse 2. Nicodemus, one of the leaders, <clears throat> man of the Pharisees, comes to Jesus. Verse 2, Nicodemus came to him by night, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these, these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, right here, we can see a difference between certain beliefs in Jesus. And it's impo really important that we understand that distinction. Otherwise, you're going to be confused as you go through the scriptures. But as long as we keep in mind, there is a type of faith, a type of believing that is not a genuine believing. It may look good for a while, but it's not genuine. And then you have another kind that is. You had some people say they believed in him, but then Jesus says he didn't entrust himself to them because he knew what was in their heart. So it's important for us to understand as we go through uh, these, these signs that Jesus is doing 
And when it says that certain people believe, well, you got to look at the context and to see what kind of belief are we talking about. Well, take a look over at John 4, 48. In John 4, 48, Jesus, uh, he's dealing with a nobleman's son, this man whose son was very sick, and Jesus wanted to go. Uh, he wanted Jesus to come to him and heal him. Verse 48, Jesus therefore said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you, you simply will not believe. Well, I thought the whole purpose, John says in his gospel, was that there would be signs that people would believe he's the Christ. So why was he sort of rebuking this man? And Jesus will heal that nobleman's son, but he says, you're always demanding signs. And here's the problem. When you're always, a person's demanding a sign from God, that's not a good thing. That reveals something uh, about who, who they are. Now, later on, we get in John, we're going to see that when Jesus is arrested, that he is sent to Herod, Herod Antipas. And when he comes to Herod Antipas, Herod knew, Herod knew all about him. And Herod says, look, I've been waiting to hear, uh, to meet you for you to do something amazing because I've heard about your miracles. Do a miracle for me. And what was Jesus' response? He didn't do a thing. Not a thing. He just kept quiet. Why? Because he's not going to cater to a circus show. That's what he's not going to do. And in fact, we're going to see that uh, later on, Jesus will refer to Herod Antipas. He says, tell that fox, referring to Herod Antipas, meaning a deceiver. Now, who was Herod Antipas? Well, well, first of all, let me just mention this to understand maybe Jesus' response to Herod. Uh, in Matthew 7, verse 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes this statement. Of course, this is a phrase you've, I know you've heard. In Matthew 7, 6, Jesus says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Oh, give me a miracle, Jesus. Jesus is not about to cast pearls before a swine. He knew it would make no difference in the life of Herod Antipas. Understand who Herod's father was. Herod's father was Herod the Great, the one where the, the wise men come, say there's a king, a newborn king. Oh, I'd like to go worship him. Where is he? So I can kill him. And what does Herod do? Herod... Antipas' father, Herod the Great. Well, to be sure he's covered his bases, kill all the male-born children two years and under. And that's exactly what he did. So Jesus 
is not going to perform signs to, to people like this. And Jesus said to that nobleman, he says, you guys are always demanding signs or you will not believe. Well, look at John chapter six, verse two. And a great multitude was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. Now, this, he's about to feed the 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves of bread and, and two loaves, I mean, two, uh, two fish. And why were they following him? Well, he was, he was the great miracle worker. What is he going to do next? That's why they were following him. And in fact, if you take a look in, in John 6, look at, at verses 14 and 15. This is after he fed the 5,000. And they were picking up the fragments. When therefore the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is of a truth, the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, let's stop right there. They understood it was a sign. They made that connection. But here is their problem. Look what they wanted to do. Look at verse 15. Jesus, therefore, perceiving that they were intending to come and take him by force to make him king, withdrew himself again to the mountain to be alone. In other words, <clears throat> I've done this miracle. You understand I am, and they said the prophet. That means the Messiah, that the prophet. But look what they wanted to do with this Messiah. Again, that only reveals like many of the Jews they had this false understanding, just like their religious leaders had this false understanding of what the Messiah would do when he would show up. Again, they thought he was going to be destroy all their enemies in this, this glorious way. And who was their enemy they were most concerned about having to be destroyed? But the Romans who occupied them. And so Jesus would have no part of it. He withdrew from himself. Take a look at verse uh, John 6, verses 25 and 26. And when they found him on the other side of the sea. Now, these are the people that were at the feeding of the 5,000. What are we going to do next? They actually tracked him down. And it says, when they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. In this instance, some of these people, they didn't make the connection of what it, that this was indeed a sign of him being the Messiah. And Jesus says, you know, all that you're concerned about is being fed. And why did a lot of people follow Jesus? Well, they had physical afflictions. And if you had a lame leg, wouldn't you want it healed? 
If you had some, like a, a woman, this is a different instance, like the woman had a hemorrhage for 12 years, wanted to be healed. Now she had faith. That's a different uh, scenario. But a lot of people fought him because of what he could do for them physically. But they weren't making the connection spiritually at this point. So while they were seeing signs, they really didn't see a sign to what they should have, that he is truly the Messiah, the Christ, and that that meant an obligation to believe in him wholeheartedly. We're told in John 7, take a look at John 7, verse 31. But many of the multitude believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ shall come, he will not pardon, or he will not perform more signs than those which this man has, will he? And so these people, they understood there, there were people saying, well, he's been rather spectacular in what he has revealed to us. And surely the Messiah, if he shows up, is not going to do any more than this man because what, is he, what has he done? Well, let's take a look at what he has done. And we'll look at the question that when John the Baptist was arrested by Herod, put in prison, John sends word by his disciples, and I've told you before why I think John sent his disciples, because he wanted his disciples to make the transition from himself to Jesus. So he says, tell us, are you the one promised or we'd expect another? Turn over to Matthew 11. Take a look at verses two through five. Now, when John in prison heard of the works of Christ, notice that, the works of Christ, he, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the expected one or are we to look for someone else? And Jesus answered and said, to them, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. In other words, what he was saying to convince John's disciples I, I have done exactly what the scripture says the Messiah would do. So you go tell John. I think John, well, we know John already knew because God spoke, the Father spoke out of heaven when he baptized Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. John, turn, turn back to John 9, look at verse 16 in the healing of the lame man. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And there was a division among them. So there was a split in the Sanhedrin. No, he, he can't be the Messiah. Well, he, it sure looks like he possibly could be, 
because nobody can do these signs except someone like that. And then turn to John 10. We're about to catch up where we are. John 10, look at verses 40 through 42. And he went away again beyond the Jordan to the place where John was first baptizing. And he was staying there. And many came to him and were saying, while John performed no sign, yet everything John said about this man was true. And many believed in him there. And then... Take a look at John 11, verses 47 and 48. Now this is after the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Verse 47, therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council and were saying, what are we doing? For this man is performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, all men will believe in him and then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. You know, what, what's incredible about that is they admitted, they couldn't deny that Jesus was doing something miraculous. They didn't dispute that then why didn't they believe? It just goes to show just how hard-hearted these people were. Despite so much, no, it doesn't make any difference to me. In fact, we're told in, in John 12, verse 18, remember there was a crowd that, that showed up at uh, Lazarus getting raised from the dead. And then that crowd followed Jesus when he was on a donkey going into Jerusalem, met another crowd who says they had heard about what Jesus had done. What did they hear about what Jesus had done? Raised this man from the dead, been dead for four days. Well, they had heard that this was a sign. So just keep in mind that there are many people who are convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, the prophet promised from the Old Testament, and yet they did not believe in him with a genuine faith. Like I said a moment ago, it's important that you and I make that distinction between a belief that looks good for a while, but then falls away, and a belief that follows through to the end. Now, <clears throat> we're told in John, um, look at verse 38. Now, here's the reason. Though they had, verse 37, though they had seen many signs they still wouldn't believe. Well, why? Well, verse 38 and 40 tells us the reason why they couldn't. Look what it says. 
that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this cause they could not believe, for Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, and he has hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. Why couldn't they believe? Because it was predestined. Remember, all prophecy is predestination. That's what a prophecy is. Something that has been foretold but will come to pass. Now, again, we can be troubled when we see this, and we're going to take a look at this passage. I know I've talked about it before on Sunday evening, but it's worth going over again because we can easily be confused. When you look at that, you say, well, the reason they believe, well, then it's God's fault. He hardened their heart. He blinded their eyes. So why does he still find fault? It's the same question that Paul mentions in Romans 9, which says, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. Well, then, as if he understood what anticipated the next question would be, then why does he still find fault? Well, whose fault is it? Well, we're going to see from scriptures, it's not God's fault. It's man's fault. And it can be reconciled in one sense. Let's take a look at the relationship because now what what is said here, that prophecy in Isaiah comes from Isaiah 29, by the way. That was the prophecy. I want us to turn, first of all, to Matthew 15. Turn to Matthew 15. And let's start at verse 7 through 11. Now, again, the Pharisees were troubled that Jesus' disciples were not going through the ceremonial washing of their hands. And then Jesus turns it on them and he says, you hypocrites, rightly did, uh, did Isaiah prophesy of you saying, this people honors me with their heart lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And after he called the multitude to him, he said to them, hear and understand. It's not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth that defiles him. What Jesus was saying is, Isaiah prophesied about you. You're just fulfilling his prophecy. Whose idea was it to follow human traditions rather than the, the law of God? It was their idea. Whose heart, uh, who, they, they profess with their mouth, they sound good, 
But in their heart, it's a wholly, totally different thing. Well, whose fault is that? Surely not, it's not God's. And Jesus called them hypocrites. It's your fault. How dare you be a hypocrite? You should know better. But they didn't. So, it says God, when it says that God hardens men, essentially it's saying he's recognizing that they are hardening themselves. And we're going to show that to be the exact state or what the scripture says. So, I want us to turn to some passages in Exodus. So, first of all, turn to Exodus 8. And take a look at verse 32. Well, back up to verse 31. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of insects from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained. Then what does verse 32 say? But Pharaoh hardened his heart. This time also. And he did not let the people go. Now remember when God called Moses and met him at the burning bush, he says, I'm going to send them. I'm going to send you to them and you're to do these signs to them and I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Now we're seeing the working out of that. And what does the text say? Well, Pharaoh hardened his heart again. Again, he hardened his heart. Take a look at Exodus 9, 12. Well, verse, back up to 11. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. And, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. All right. Turn over to stay in Exodus 9, but look at verses 34 and 35. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, he sinned again. He sinned again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he did not let the sons of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. I'm going to harden his heart, but then it says, Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then look finally at Exodus 10, verse 16. Then Pharaoh hurriedly called for Moses and Aaron, and he said, now who said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. I have sinned. That's out of the mouth of Pharaoh. 
And so what we see here is that what that means, this is what, what God is doing. You got, and this is how you got to fit Scripture with Scripture. This is important. It's what I said earlier, the analogy of faith. You interpret Scripture by Scripture. 1 John 1 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all whatsoever. Cannot happen. God's not the author of sin. God doesn't force people uh, to do something contrary to his revealed will. That God says, I don't do that. So when it says that God hardened his heart, what it means is he gave Pharaoh over to do what Pharaoh wanted to do. That's what that means. Same thing with, uh, with Judas Iscariot. Uh, we're, we're, we're told that, um, remember, in, uh, Jesus said in Mark 14, verse 21, he says, the son of man is going to go as it has been determined. Now, what's that? That's predestination, right? As it has been determined. But woe to the man who betrays them. For it would have been better for that man never to have been born. Oh, it was predestined. And it was going to happen without a doubt. But whose fault was it? Judas's. Unless people think, well, Judas could have had this idea, why is God picking on me? Because it was prophesied that a friend would betray him. And it was prophesied that he would betray him for 30 pieces of silver as well. Look what Judas says in Matthew Matthew 27, by the way, verses three through five, when Jesus is arrested and he sees that it's not going well for Jesus, now he's got severe guilt going on because he's the betrayer. So he decides to go back (laughs) and throw the money back to the Sanhedrin. Look at Matthew 27, verses three through five. Then when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, these are the words of Judas, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See that, see that to yourself. We don't, in other words, we don't care. And what does Judas do? He goes out and hangs himself. Judas knew he had sinned. And that's why Jesus says, the son of man is gonna go as it's been determined, but woe to the man who betrays them. And so what we see here is that, um, you know, when Paul in Romans 10 talks about that, <clears throat> the importance of preachers, how can anyone believe unless they hear and how can they hear unless they hear a preacher and, and then how will they hear a preacher unless the preacher is sent? And he's quoting Isaiah in that context. Here's the thing. God hardens men in response to God, men hardening themselves. 
We could phrase it this way. It is a judicial judgment upon them is what it is. It is God's judicial judgment upon men who refuse to do the right thing. Why don't you believe? Uh, why, why didn't they believe in Jesus? Because they had darkened evil hearts. That's why. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews 3. And look at verses 7 through 12. Now, the writer to Hebrews is talking about an event in the Old Testament when the children of Israel were in the desert, the wilderness. Verse 7, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, what? Do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw what? My works for 40 years, 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said they always go astray in their heart and they do not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Then what, what, what a way to learn from this? Take care, brethren, lest there should be any of you of an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. And if you look down Hebrews 4, look at verse 2. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us just as they did also. But the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. Israel failed to believe in Jehovah in a saving sense even though for 40 years they saw miracles, they saw signs, and it didn't impact them. It wasn't God's fault because why would God be angry with them? God says, I'm so angry, I'm swearing not one of you, not one of you are going to enter the land of Canaan. And not one of them did over the age of 20. We know from the scriptures all of them over age 20 died in the wilderness. God says, they're not going to see my, my, uh, my promised land. Remember, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, all those who came out of Egypt that were baptized in the Red Sea, most of them perished in the wilderness, most of them. So they saw all these things. Take a look at Acts 2, 22 and 23. 
You know, I'm going through all these scriptures to show you this teaching is not just an isolated teaching in the scriptures. It's pervasive. Look at Acts 2, 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God, now notice what it says, with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered up by what? the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. All the Jews saw the arm of the Lord revealed, but they did not submit to him though they saw the mighty hand of God revealed. And John, and we've already taken notice back in John 12, verse 40, that Jesus said, and notice uh, in John 12, verse 40, he has blinded the eyes and he has hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted, and I heal them. In other words, they weren't converted. Second Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9, talks about that when Jesus, it says, when Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, Dealing out retribution to all those, and here, here's what it says, to all those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. These will go away from the presence of the glory of God. And why are they going to be in hell? Is because they did not obey the gospel of Jesus. And we're going to conclude with an Old Testament uh, passages out of Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Turn to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 12. And look at verses 1 and 2. Ezekiel 12, verses 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, you live in the midst of the rebellious house who have eyes to see, but they do not see. Ears to hear, but they do not hear. For they are a rebellious people. And then, if you just were to turn back a 
few pages to Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 5, Ezekiel 2, 5. As for them, whether they listen or not, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. Oh, a prophet has showed up. Uh, moving ahead thousands of years. Oh, the greatest prophet has shown up. The Christ, the Messiah. But they were a rebellious people. And though they had eyes to see, they didn't see. Oh, they had ears to hear, but they, didn't, they wouldn't listen. And then the final passage is turn to Jeremiah 5. Jeremiah 5, 20 through 25. Declare this in the house of Jacob and proclaim it in Judah saying, hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but see not, who have ears but hear not, do you not fear me, declares the Lord? Do you not tremble in my presence? For I have placed the sand as a boundary for the sea, an eternal decree, so it cannot cross over. Though the waves toss, yet they cannot prevail. Though they roar, yet they cannot cross over it. But this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and departed. They do not say in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God who gives the rain in its season, both the autumn rain, the spring rain, who keeps for us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned these away and your sins have withheld good from you. Wow. Jesus said, I, I, I am the light, I've had you. You've had me and you didn't do anything with me. And now you're going, about, you're going to kill me just like the scripture says you're going to. And never forget when Jesus rode in on that triumphal entry into Jerusalem, he weeps over the city. How I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chicks but you would not come. Oh, it's just always keep in mind predestination and election and human responsibility are friends. They are not contradictory at all. And because you and I may not fully understand, that's our, that's our problem. It's not God's problem. And so we see Jesus, he did all these signs, but they wouldn't do it. They wouldn't believe. Well, let's pray. Lord, be with us. We thank you that we did see with eyes and we did hear the, the call of Jesus because you changed our heart and you called us to yourself and we magnify your holy name. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.